0: We truly are here for the glory of it all, for His glory, for His renown, for His fame. What a joy it is to come and be reminded with you of that truth. Hey, I want to say Happy Father's Day uh, to all you fathers. Um, Specifically, there's a new father here. Matt UC, Matt and his wife Karen uh, were members of our church. God called them to Seattle, of all God forsaken places, uh, to go and be an ordained minister. Uh, they're doing ministry in Redmond. Can we just say good morning uh, to the UCs this morning? It's great to have you. I got to tell you, Father's Day sermons for many pastors are difficult to preach. It's true of this pastor. Why? Because I know you and I love you and I know that many of you today are struggling to become a father. Maybe that's been a dream for a long time and for some reason, maybe it's because of a lack of a wife that God's provided or maybe you're married and I know that there's several that would love to have their own child and yet God has not blessed you yet. So today is painful. But I want to remind you Today is going to be good because we're going to talk about the Heavenly Father. For some of you, it may be painful to talk about fathers because maybe this was the year that you lost your dad. Maybe a believer, maybe not a believer, and just waking up this morning and being reminded, oh yeah, it's Father's Day, and mine is gone, and it's painful. For some of you, when we talk about Father's Day, uh, you don't want to really think too long and hard about father. Because for many of you, many of us, father probably did more damage than maybe anyone else has in your entire life. It's amazing that relationship with a father and a son and a daughter. It's amazingly complex. Amazingly difficult at times. I'm so grateful for my dad. I'm so grateful for my children. And yet... I often just have incredible angst inside of who I am not as a father. And I'm reminded every day. So for many of us, whether it be a lousy father that's a memory, whether it be a passing of a father, or maybe it's the fact that you have yet to become a father, for many of us this is painful. And it's another reason why we are going to look to the Heavenly Father this morning. We're going to look to Him. And listen, because we look to Him, this message is not for dads. This message is for mothers, fathers, daughters, sons. This is God's Word we're looking at. This is for all of us. I promise you, do not tune out. Because we are going to look at the amazing, life-changing, radical love of a Heavenly Father. And every single one of us, if you had a great dad or a lousy dad, if you are a dad or you're not, every single one of us needs to be reminded of a God who runs to sinners. A God who loves to party and says, rejoice with me when the lost are found. A God who loves to restore that which is broken. A Father who longs to be intimate, with us, and know us, and love us. And so we will look to our Heavenly Father. I read a quote a few weeks ago. Uh, I I wrote it down. I threw it in the file for Father's Day, and it said this, Let every father remember that one day his son or daughter, I'll add, will follow his example instead of his advice. Did you hear that? Man, is that difficult. Who likes that? Uh Uh-huh. How many dads like that? Remember, someday your kids are going to follow your example, not your advice. Man, I'm squirming. Are you? I'm squirming. Because I realize that if anybody has a front row seat to my hypocrisy, my depravity, my sinfulness, it's my own children. How about yours? And so again, I'm not going to lift up a earthly model. We're going to look up a, uh, lift up a heavenly model. This makes it more urgent for us. If the reality is that our children will father, follow a Father's example, the example we must give them in our lives, in our church, and this morning is the example of the Heavenly Father. We have been making our way through Ephesians. We're going to take a couple of week break here and focus on this story, this prodigal son story for the next three weeks. But in Ephesians, Ephesians 5.1 says this to all of us, that we need to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. For those of us, by God's grace, who have been rescued through the work of Christ Jesus, we have been set free. And we need to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. So there is our background of where we are going. We're going to strive to look to the Heavenly Father and imitate Him. It's for all of us. But one thing is painfully obvious in my life is I need to pray. Because again, this message needs to be heard and it needs to be heard not from a broken sinner like me, but needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So will you please join me in prayer? Let us pray together. Father, the fact that we can pause and cry out, Father, is absolutely amazing. When we realize who you are, creator, all-powerful, almighty, omnipresent, and we realize who we are, sinful, frail as dust. And yet, your son Jesus taught us that when we pray, we start off by saying, our Father, that's even more radical. Not just a title of Father, but that we could put the personal pronoun that our—it's our Father who are in heaven. Holy is Your name. So, Father, we ask for Your name's sake and for Your glory's sake that You would come and You would fill this room with Your presence in a way that we can celebrate You as Father, because many of us are struggling with who we are as fathers. Many of us are struggling with who we have as earthly fathers. Many of us are struggling with the fact that we are not Father. And all of us, every single one of us, needs to know You intimately, personally, as Father. So come and speak. Father, I pray that You'd open up our ears to hear from Your, your voice and the work of Your Son. That You would take the Holy Spirit and illumine our minds, fill them with Your truth so we could understand this incredible story that Jesus told of a father and his two sons. And Father, that You would empower our hearts or, or break our hearts in a way that, that, Lord, that we would believe this truth. And that, Father, that You would in, Empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. God, if Father's Day has many distractions, would you please, in your hand of providence and goodness, eliminate them and allow us to hear from you. Father, the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel, use those things to make us more like Christ. The things that are merely my opinion, may they fall away and be forgotten. We pray that you and you alone receive glory, we receive joy and also challenge. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So this morning we're going to look to the Heavenly Father through the eyes, or the, at least the ears, or at least the tongue of His unique Son, Jesus, who tells us a story, tells us a parable about a father. And clearly he is telling us a story about his own father, a story that we have commonly called the prodigal son story. But we got to realize a couple things as we begin. First of all, who was this story originally spoken to? Who was he addressing? As Mr. Miller, uh, Dick Miller came up and, and read scripture, we started off in Luke 15. If you're not there, you may want to turn back with Luke 15 with me. And the first couple of verses, we see that Jesus is addressing the religious crowd of His day. Those who should be most displaying Christ-like, Father-like love. That is who He is addressing this story to. It's a story about the lost being found. Interestingly, in Luke 15, there's three stories that are told. A story of a woman who lo- loses a coin. A story of a man who loses a sheep. And a son, a father who loses, and I will tell you two sons. Often referred to as one son. So as we look to that, I want you to be, first of all, mindful that Jesus is telling this story, as always, for a particular reason, aiming at religious people like you and me, so that our ministry, our love, will reflect the Father's love. Because in Jesus' day, the religious people didn't get it. They weren't very interested in looking and saving the lost. They weren't very interested in spending their own resources with those in the world that didn't get Christianity. And Jesus says, no, no, there's a father who is passionate about the lost. There's good news. There's a father who leads with love. There is good news. There's a father who loves you intimately. There is good news. And that is who we need to reflect and be like. So today we look at becoming more like the Heavenly Father because truly that's the point of the story. He's telling the religious people, you need to become more like this. You need to love more like this. You need to respond more like this. And it is so true that the church needs to respond like this. Next week we will look at... uh, becoming more like the true older brother and his story. And then the third week, uh, we'll look at the younger son. So we have actually turned it all upside down. Most people preach about the lost uh, prodigal son. We're going to look a little differently. But we're going to end this service, and we're going to end this sermon on a high note because that's where this text ends. It's interesting. With each one of these little stories that Jesus tells about a lost coin, about a lost sheep, And about a lost son or sons, each one is found. And for each one of the stories, Jesus responds, or the writer responds, saying, Rejoice with me! Rejoice with me! And so we're going to, those of us by God's grace, who've been rescued through the work of the elder son Jesus, who've experienced this life-changing love of God the Father, we're going to rejoice. I'm going to tell you, we're going to rejoice at the end. If you look at the bulletin, you can see that we got some good rejoicing songs to celebrate what the Father has done. Let me also briefly mention that there's two books outside of God's Word, which is the holy and errant book that we always look to, that God has used providentially in my life to really help me understand this story. Uh, one is The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen or Henri Nouwen, uh, an amazing writer, an amazing man. Uh, in a th- different theological camp than we are, uh, but has great insight. The second one is Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Tim was here this week, uh, uh, just his sermons alone on Luke 15, if you ever get them, are, are worth pure gold. So know that I have those in my head uh, as well. Let me quickly recap for you the story that was read. Um, again, it's an amazing story the story of the prodigal son or sons. Basically, you have a father that we are told has two sons, like I have two sons. We don't know about his daughters. Um, in, that, in that society, the older son would have two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger son would have one. That's how it was in that society. Uh, the younger son uh, was rebellious in a way. He, he, uh, he wanted away from the father. And here's what the younger son wanted. Can you believe the gall of the younger son? Dads, let me ask you, do you ever feel this with your own kids? The younger son wanted the father's stuff, but he did not want any relationship with the father. He wanted no intimacy with the father. As a matter of fact, the younger son really wished that the father was dead. He wished the father was dead because then there'd be a benefit to him. He could do away with the old man not to worry about that guy anymore. And he could get his stuff. He could get his inheritance. So with incredible gall and incredible absolutely uh, just not thinking, and I know our kids never do this. I know they always think through things. They won't ask us things that are completely repugnant. But the, the younger son will actually come to the father and say to him, Father, I want you to cash out the family assets. I want you to uh, sell what you have and I want you to give me what I have as a right of your son. I want one third I'm going to leave home. And in that society, if this was normally done, what you would do, you would shun the younger son. The father would probably rightfully say, You know what, son? You're not acting like a son. You're not behaving like a son. Not only will I not cash out my inheritance and give it to you, but more than that, I will disown you as a son. Your one third is gone. Get out of my face and be gone. In this story, amazing story, the father agrees cashes out the estate and gives his son one-third of his assets, and the son is gone. The son thought that he could find life apart from the father, apart from the father's identity, and he goes into the world, and he has what the world will tell you a really good time. Wine, music, loose women, he finds them all. Um, He uh, uh, imbibes in them all. Uh, He drags the family name through the mud, Rumors come back to the hometown of the prostitutes he's with, the parties he is throwing. And as long as he's got dough that subsidizes parties, and as long as he has those folks around him, he's having a good time. But pretty soon the coin runs out. But not for a while. The dad gave him a lot. And all of a sudden he's left with nothing. And he starts to come to his senses. Matter of fact, lost in translation is a fact when he came to his census, he was feeding pigs on a farm, longing to eat what he was feeding the pigs. You have to understand in that culture, a young Jewish boy hanging around pigs and feeding pigs, swine, is the low of the low of the low of the low. He hit rock bottom. And he realizes that what he had done to the family had so disgraced the family. Like some of you feel with maybe your own father walking away, maybe how some of you feel with your own sons and daughters walking away, that he feels like he had so disgraced the family, he no longer deserves to be a part of the family. He will go back to the benevolent father and he will beg to become a son or a servant. I've lost sonship, give me servant. Treat me as your hired hand, because a servant with you, Father, is better treated than uh, someone who seems to be free. Well, that's that's what happened. Uh, the father in, instead says, no way. Uh, I'm not going to allow you to be a servant. Uh, the father welcomes him home as a son. Amazing story that he runs to the son. He runs to the son before the son can even ask for forgiveness, before the son can articulate what made him think this way and do these things, before the son could Break himself before the father. The father comes and breaks himself before the son. And says, I'll have none of this. You are my son and I'm going to make sure you know how much I love you. And I'm going to make sure you know how I provide for you. And then unbelievably, the father decides to throw a party. To throw a party for a son who has returned. There's a few things I want us to look at this morning as... Our main focus, if you have a bulletin you want to follow along, it'll be right in that front cover there. And there's two things I want to ask in the beginning. The first one is this. What was evident in the father's life that allows him to run to his son? I I, I cannot get over this. I I cannot help but mull this over. This is what seeped up throughout my study. What in the world... Did that father possess in his DNA, in his soul, that would allow him to run to such a rebellious son? Fathers don't often run. Fathers usually lead with judgment. Fathers usually wait for a son to come back home and then smack down the law. But instead, this father had something inside of him that allowed him to run. What was it? I uh, have a very, very dear friend who ministers in another community, a different community, socioeconomic than ours, a different community, demographics, um, a dear friend whom I love deeply, uh, yet his ministry, his church, looks quite a bit different than mine. I love this man. I love his heart for the Lord. He is a great man uh, with a wonderful ministry. Uh, Recently, he had a ministry to... Young men uh, in his community, maybe thirty-five or so, and he was going to have a lock-in, which means that he was going to spend all night with thirty-five-year-old teenage boys. I tell him right now he's cuckoo. Uh, I used to do that thing when I was a youth minister, but he's older than I am, and I would call him up and say, "Now let me get this right. You're going to spend all night? You're going to stay up all night? Don't you know that you're too old for that?" But His love for the Lord and ministry allowed him or called him to do it. He gathered the boys and they went to a a local uh, Golden Corral restaurant. Uh, They're in the Golden Corral restaurant having dinner. um, And one of the boys notices some other child, some other boy having dinner with his grandparents that he doesn't like. Maybe there's a rivalry. Maybe it's a gang issue. I'm not exactly sure. But whatever it was, he spots one he hates that motivated him to go over to the table, leave his group, and start yelling racial slurs at the one who was sitting at the table with his grandparents, minding his own business, having dinner. It led to a fist fight. It led to uh, the cops coming. It led to his group being dismissed from the restaurant and it led to an incredible difficult situation for my dear friend and he called me the following monday and he says i am so embarrassed jeff i am so embarrassed you won't believe what i am so embarrassed i said tell me what happened as he told me what happened i I gotta tell you i love him he's a good man and that I could see what he was struggling with. You know what he was struggling with more than that man's behavior, that young man's behavior? You know what his biggest struggle was? It was pride. And you know, it's easier to see your sin than it is my own, so I could see his pretty darn clearly. And I knew what he was wrestling with because he was so embarrassed because it was the church's name on the vehicle's. It was the church's name, and I understand, and there's a little bit where you got to say, of course you do. But then he broke my heart by telling me the rest of the story. He said that, that boy came to church the following Sunday, and he had never been in church before. And he finally came to church and after the service, he walked up to the pastor and called the pastor by name and said, Pastor, I'd like for you to forgive me. I'm sorry for what I have done. And then I couldn't believe what I heard. My friend said, I just turned from him and walked away. And I said, if there was ever a chance for the gospel, that was it. If there was ever a chance... For an adult male in that person's life to throw open their arms and say, but I want you to know you're forgiven and I love you. Why? Because Jesus loves me and He has forgiven me. The Gospel could have sung. Instead, that pride got in the way and a young, repentant boy walked away without hearing forgiveness. And listen, in the world's eyes, he probably didn't deserve it. He embarrassed the church. He embarrassed his pastor. He embarrassed his community. He all but sunk the wonderful evening and all the plans that were made for that group. And how in the world does a father who has had his family name dragged through the mud, how in the world can a father who's had his son go spend his inheritance after saying to him, I wish you were dead. Give me your stuff. And goes and spends it on loose women and booze. How in the world can a father respond to a son the way this father responds? I have to ask the question, what was evident in the father's life that allows him to run to his son? And the first thing i got to tell you is this. It's love. It's love. It's, it's love that covers a multitude of sins. It's love. It's, it's, it's somehow being able to lead with love. And, and I want the Gospel to massage my soul so much that I too am able to lead with love. Because I don't know about you, especially as a father. I often lead with judgment. I often lead with criticism. I often lead with rebuke. I often lead not with love, but with law. In the Gospel, there is the opportunity for the first time to be set free as the Father who demonstrates a love for us sinners. While we are still sinners, Christ came and died for us. It's a Father who leads with love. It's a Father who leads with compassion. His Son was lost. And He was hurting because His Son was lost. That was what was burning in His soul. It led to compassion. Compassion. It led him to every day getting up and looking to the hills to see, is my son coming home? Is my son coming home? Because I want to show him compassion. It's a father who leads with mercy. Mercy. And truly, what did this man have? Listen, what did this man have that allowed him to run to his sinful son? He had freedom. He had freedom. You see, he had been forgiven. He had been loved. He had the freedom to run and not care what anybody else thought. He had the freedom to give and give and give. And it's amazing freedom. And the truth is, you and I get so entangled with our sin, we lose that freedom. Sin has a way of entangling us and keeping us from running in any direction to really having joy. He had freedom. An amazing freedom that would set him free to run. You see, the gospel was evident in his life. He was free. He didn't care what others thought. Fathers of Orangewood, Orangewood Presbyterian Church, The reality of a God who loves us so much and leads with love and compassion. The reality of a God who initiates with love. The reality of a God who gives us a Son who does all that we were supposed to do and credits it to us. The reality of a Son who would die for our sins. The reality of a Holy Spirit that fills us. The reality that He loves you exactly where you are today in Christ Jesus perfectly and fully should set us free. But the reality is, is you're like me, is that we're broken and we're comparing ourselves to others and we want to know how come we're not like them or like this person and we get entangled with our own sin and it keeps us from running and it leads to judgment. One of the worst things about general assembly is that all the pastors assemble. One of the best things about General Assembly is all the pastors assemble. But do you know what it's like to have Tim Keller stand up and speak? Do you know what it's like to have the best of the best of the best to stand up to speak? How many of us pastors are sitting like, oh, this is really good. Oh, I love that. Oh, great point. You know what we're thinking? Man, how come my church isn't that big? Man, how come I can't preach like that? Man. How come I'm not that smart? Man, how come I'm not? And fill in the blank. And I got to continually say, God, I'm so sorry. And my sin is keeping me from running and appreciating who I am in Christ. What did he have? He had freedom. And I'm telling you, the only way you and I in this church will get freedom is if we get Jesus. And we get the gospel, and we understand how radically loved we are, and that we are set free in Christ. Does that make sense? I, just, I, I wish I had words to articulate this. I wish I could just make it so clear for you. But what just blew me away was the Father's freedom to run. I love it, because I'm so bound up. What did he not have? What was absent in the Father's life that allowed him to run? We don't see fathers run too often. They're too dignified from that. What was absent in the father's life? Ready for this? Pride. Pride. I mean, how many of us would sit there and say, my son doesn't deserve this. He better come back in here and he better demonstrate a changed behavior. He better come back here and he better show me that he's finally got it right. He better change. I'm going to wait and see. The father had swallowed his pride. The fact that he may not have had a son who deserved it, but he was going to lavish it. What didn't he have? The fear of men. Listen, he was already the laughingstock of the community. The guy sold his inheritance and gave it to his son who spent it on prostitutes. And now he's going to go, what's, what's, what's he doing? He's running across the field. He's running for his son. What an idiot. <laughs> Look at that guy. First of all, he's running. What in the world kind of father runs? And he's running to a, a, a son who is absolutely rebellious? You know what the neighbors would think of such lunacy? He'd be the laughing stock of the community. He didn't show proper decorum. He didn't act very father-like. He didn't act very, like, you know, controlled. He didn't have the fear of men the way I do. He didn't care what you thought because the gospel had set him free. Because God, the Father, loved him so radically, he could run and he could be laughed at, but he wouldn't be laughed at by the Father. What was absent? Entitlement was absent. He just didn't seem that he was entitled to to have the respect of his children and perfect behavior, that mantle of decorum. What was absent? Orangewood, I think that so many times for parents like us, our children's behavior reflects who we are. And we get so wound up that if they don't behave, we don't look good. And if they don't behave, somehow it smears our name. And if they don't behave, somehow we have failed. Now, yes, we're to train our children in the ways of the Lord. And when they're old, by God's grace, prayerfully, they won't depart from it. But there are prodigals. Kids are going to mature at different points. And I tell you what, the gospel's got to set us free enough that our kids that have wandered a little bit is okay because we're so radically loved that we can love back. And their behavior isn't such a reflection on us. Does that make sense? We're so wound up in their SAT scores. We're so wound up in their sports performance. We're so wound up in their popularity. We're so wound up. Why? Because we want those things to set us free. We want those things to validate us. Instead of letting the gospel come and the good news of Jesus Christ set us free, so much that we can be fathers who lead with love, who lead with compassion, and who are willing to run to the lost. Becoming a father who initiates forgiveness—that's what we got to be. He initiated. John Mayer sings a cool song. Daughters, you know it. Daughters, be good to your uh, fathers. Be good to your daughters. Why? Because daughters will love like you do? I think it's pretty true. Pretty pretty poignant. I think he concludes sons there. He's kind of hard on sons. He basically in the song says, go ahead and bang on your son. He'll respond, okay? And the truth is, love both your daughter and your son. Why? Listen, dads, this is amazing. Your kids will love the way you do. And the only way you can love them is if you have been radically loved and forgiven yourselves fathers need to initiate forgiveness and listen this is maybe one of the most important things i'm going to say this morning that's two points and here they are you ready here's the first one you cannot give what you do not have you cannot give what you do not have if you have not experienced your sins forgiven by a loving father through the work of His Son, where His justice and mercy meet at the cross, if you don't know the joy of knowing that you have failed the Father morally, spiritually, but you have been forgiven in Christ Jesus, you are incapable to give forgiveness to your kids the way that you need to, the way that this Father could. You cannot give what you do not have If you are here today and you're hearing a Father's Day message and you think I'm going to tell you to do better, to love more, you're wrong. The message for all of us is to turn to Christ more. Realize who we have in Christ Jesus. To become more like the Father. To be true to our kids and let them know that we're broken messes who are entangled with sin too. But we're trying to let the Gospel set us free so we can love them. And love others well. You cannot give what you do not have. And if you haven't experienced the amazing, life-changing forgiveness of the Father, you will not be able to give it away. Not only that, you cannot receive what someone else does not have. Some of you are longing for your Father to affirm you. Some of you are longing for your Father to say, I am sorry. And maybe we have to realize that they don't have Christ in their life and they're not there. And you are looking for affirmation from a broken vessel who can't give it to you. I have good news. What you long for and what you need is found in the Heavenly Father. And He longs to give it to you. You see, in Father's Day, we'll receive gifts. I love the gift that I'm going to receive. The kids were excited about it. They told me days ago, I'm so excited about your gift. Can't wait for you to get your gift. I walk in the house the other day and I walk by and I say, hey, hey, hey. Whose bocce ball set is this? And they all looked at it as if it was a piece of, you know, something radioactive. Bocce ball? What, what bocce ball set? So disappointed because they wanted to be a surprise. Because I have found out, found out that bocce ball delight is a pure joy around my backyard and on the beach. I'm darn good at it. And I even can juggle the balls. It's amazing. But truthfully, it's not about the gifts that we receive from our children on Father's Day. It's all about the gifts we give to our children. And the gifts we need to give is a father who initiates forgiveness. It's a father who initiates reconciliation. That's what he did. He initiated reconciliation. And remember... God in Christ Jesus has given us a ministry of reconciliation. If you're a father here, a mother here, a child here, that's your ministry. We are to make this world new again in Christ to be agents of reconciliation. To go to those relationships, whether it be a son or a daughter, or whether it be a workmate or a neighbor, we are given a ministry of reconciliation. That's what the Father does. He initiates reconciliation. But remember, you cannot give what you do not have. And if you do not have a reconciled relationship with the Father, you cannot find true reconciliation with your sons and daughters. Thirdly, becoming a father who gives gifts of identity. I love this. Not of iPods and of video games and of stuff. Becoming a father who gives gifts of identity. What did the father give to his son who said, I'll be a servant. The father gave to the son everything that indicated that he was a son. He gave him identity. He said, no, 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 I'm going to give you the best robe. You're my boy. I want everybody to know that you're mine. I'm going to give you my best robe. And not only that, I'm going to give you a ring on your finger that's a family crest so that everybody knows. And I'm going to put shoes on your feet as an identity because you're not going to be confused with a slave. You are a son. I'm going to give you gifts of identity that pull you close to me, that fill you with life so you know whose you are and how radically you are loved. That's the greatest gifts that a father can give to a son. And a father can only give that to a son if he has received them from son Jesus. The only people who can give those gifts are those like me who have gone off and squandered what the father has given me but who come back to the Father through the Son, and the Son says, I'm going to give you my robe of righteousness. I'm going to give you my ring of identity. I'm going to put my family seal on you. I'm going to give you shoes for your feet to say you are my Son. What is the point of this? Fathers, non-fathers, whoever God has put into your life, point them back to their Heavenly Father. Father. So they can receive the robe of righteousness of the Son. So they can receive the ring of the family and the shoes. The greatest gifts we can give to our children is a gift of identity that we love them and they belong in the Father. And lastly, becoming a a father who likes to throw a party. I love it. I mean, I think of God sometimes, and you think of, all He's rigid, He's cold, he's, he's, He's not happy, He's angry, I mean... No, our God, the God of the Bible, loves to forgive and show mercy, and He loves to throw a party. That's the whole point of Luke 15. Rejoice with me. I know the world is broken. I know that everything hasn't been set right yet. I know you still wrestle with sin, but rejoice with me. I'm giving you life. I have given you life. I'll never take it away. Rejoice with me. Our Father loves to celebrate, and the truth is, I think I miss it. I always see what still needs to be done. I always see in my own children, in my own life, in my own church, what still needs to be done, what makes my heart sad, what needs to be tinkered with. And I think God is telling you and telling me that we have to learn how to party. Because our Father loves us today. He set us free today. He's working with us today. He rejoices over us today. Today, my brothers and sisters, the Father rejoices over us in Christ. He's happy with us in Christ Jesus. He's forgiven us in Christ Jesus. He'll never let us go. He's preparing a really large banquet party for us one day where He'll be with us face to face. And He says, I want you to celebrate now. But remember, you cannot give what you do not have. You can't throw a party if there's not joy in your heart I have uh, Rembrandt's paintings in my home study and my study here. And it's Rembrandt's uh, how he views this story of the father reaching around and putting his hands, one male hand, one female hand to show strength of the father and the tender love of the father on the son who's come back. And the son is enveloped in the father's love and there you see that he's lost one shoe completely. One's falling off. He's he's marred he's hardly recognizable and there is a father loving the son and i have it in my home study and i have it in this study why because every time i look at it i want to know that's me nothing to offer the father that's me that's me just coming and saying god the father love me fill me complete me in christ Jesus. Until you know the Father like that, you don't know the story. Until you realize you're the prodigal son, you don't know the story. More on that in a couple of weeks. He has rescued me. And for those whom the Father has rescued, we have reason to rejoice. I know you're still undone. I know there's stuff to go. I know there's things that we've got to work on. But can we rejoice right now that we're loved? Can we just rejoice the fact that there's a Father who leads with love and mercy and compassion? Can we just rejoice that in Christ Jesus, He's no longer mad at us, but He loves us and He's forgiven us? Can that make our souls sing? Join me. For those of you who have been set free by that kind of love, let us sing these next two songs with our hearts and souls filled with joy for Him. And let us be mindful that our call is to imitate that kind of love. And that kind of father. Let us pray. Father, we see in this story a reflection of who you are as father. And we see a father who really became undignified to run and to love us. Who didn't care what the neighbors thought. Who was set free from pride and filled with love for the broken, sinful like me. And because of that love, there was a party and rejoicing. God, come, start the party with your spirit so we can rejoice. In Christ's name we pray, amen.